higher image. We are not transformed into the image Adam had merely. We have that, but there's more because we are transformed into the image of Christ himself, which is more than what Adam had. Christ is God in the flesh. He's more than Adam. He's deeper than Adam. He's more wise and beautiful and holy and spiritual than Adam. So God gives to us something greater than he even gave us, though we had not sinned. That is the image he would transform us into. Romans chapter 8, that those whom he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So you make sure you're being transformed. That word transform there means to change the shape or to change the form of something. Trans is change. We, st- we still use that word to transmit or transfer. Even today, in the obsession with sexuality and gender, there is the transsexual movement because these people believe that they can change their, their, their sexuality. Here we're told that we as Christians are being changed, transformed spiritually. The word in the Greek, some of you will know it if you've watched films or you're interested in science fiction or anything like that. The word is metamorphosis. That's the word Paul uses. We are being metamorphosized into the image of God. Meta, to change. Morph is the form of something. So my soul is to be changed day by day, continually, increasingly, from one degree of glory until another degree, until it is just like Jesus Christ. That's what God is doing in Christianity, changing men and women to make them pure, holy, to give them eternal life. But as we move into chapter 4, there is a strange contradiction that Paul is dealing with in this letter. And the strange contradiction is, if people know God, and people are indwelt by God, and people are following God and being blessed by God, would the world not look like a different place? And would, would these people who are being blessed by God, would their lives not follow a certain pattern? In other words, if God is with you, you will be alive. You will be protected. You won't have any diseases. You will, you, all your relationships will be great. You'll never doubt. You'll never really suffer. Why? Because God is with you. That's what the Corinthians had a problem with. The Corinthians began to reject Paul's preaching because the Greek preachers preached about philosophy and wisdom and all of these interesting things and Paul said to them a Jew was crucified and that's the only thing that can save you and to the Greek that was an offence that didn't make sense if this was God's son and if this is a message of hope and if this person came on a positive mission to save us why is he hanging on a cross why is he in a grave That doesn't look like a great mission. But Paul says the paradox and the contradiction is that God reveals his glory. Remember this morning? God reveals his glory in his greatest way in the cross. 
in the horror and the judgment and the wrath of the cross with his mercy there as well and Paul's great point in this section of the letter is our lives are like that if Jesus was the blessing from God and he died and was crucified if he had to go into darkness to produce light if he had to go into darkness to produce salvation should we as his people expect that God's blessing for us will look like that we're never in darkness no Paul's saying it's exactly the same for us we follow in Jesus' footsteps and therefore we will suffer the paradox is verse 7 chapter 4 verse 7 to verse 10 Paul says that they are offended and stumbling at who Paul is because if he was really God's messenger verse 8 why would he be hard pressed on every side and perplexed why would he be persecuted and struck down verse 10 why would he carry about in his body the dying of the Lord Jesus why would he as he lists his suffering I think it's later in this letter when he says he was beaten with rods stoned and left for dead that he received from the Jews the 39 lashes several times when you looked at Paul you were looking at someone whose body was torn someone whose bones had been broken this, this man was surrounded by a mob with huge boulders thrown on him this man saw the glory of Christ and probably had problems with his eyes he says that in Galatians that he can barely see and that the Galatians loved them so much that they would have plucked out their own eyes to give them to Paul this was a man who looked terrible this wasn't the kind of man who would win a presidential election this isn't a man who would look great on TV or any of these things and the Greeks stumbled at it the Corinthians stumbled at it but Paul says that's the key that's the key if you are going to behold the glory of God if you are going to have communion with God in this world the world will press against you even part of the church the professing church that isn't saved it will press against the true believer and the true messenger of God and rather than become doubtful and perplexed by our suffering emotionally, physically rather than become doubtful about it we should actually see that as a promise from God that he told us beforehand this is what our life will look like that's the paradox that Paul says that in verse 16 the outward man, the outward self is perishing his body is perishing God has made him alive in Christ God has placed his glory within him God is showing him his glory God has promised him the kingdom of heaven but the paradox at the same time you can see his body wasting away that's why Paul says we do not lose heart verse 16 we do not lose heart and that's what I want to call you to tonight there may be some in here who especially need to hear that if they're in a situation like Paul 
Paul is confidently telling us by the Spirit of God as Christians tonight we do not lose heart following Christ we do not lose heart in this world why? because we see something we see something we saw this morning that we see the glory of God in the world but Paul says here we see something else we're looking at verses 16 to 18 of chapter 4 we do not lose heart Paul says in verse 18 we do not look at the things which are seen but the things which are not seen and Paul is telling us that we must do what he did and what a truly spiritual person does do they look beyond this world because this world is not the only reality that there is this is physical this was all created there was a, this universe that we're in right now there was a time it wasn't here what was there before that and this world there will be a time it will not be here your body your life all of your plans there will be a time that they're not here and I guarantee you it will be within the next 150 years you will not be here where do you need to look you need to look beyond yourself and the cars going past and the shops and energy and all these things you need to look beyond that it's there you can go there and touch it I agree with you it is there but that's not all there is even in this room there are things you can't see there are billions of atoms moving around this room there are neutrinos and photons of light shooting around this room some of them are going through your body and you, you can't even feel them they're going through your body at thousands of miles per hour and you can't feel them there is a lot in this room that you can't see and there is a lot in this world that you can't see and there is a lot outside of this universe that you cannot see but Paul could see it not with his eyes but he could see it he could see it he says we do not look at the things which are seen but we look at the things which are unseen the word he uses to tell us to look at it to be relieved from all our suffering the word he uses you, you know the word it is the word scope scope like a telescope many other times in the Bible it tells us this person saw this this person saw that it's, there's a normal word to see things Paul doesn't tell us just to see it he tells us to scope it to examine it closely to scrutinize it and to gaze that's one way it's translated in the Bible to gaze at it to look beyond the physical and not just say there is a heaven you are told here we do not look at the things which are seen but we do look at the things which are unseen we are to look and evaluate and scrutinize and gaze at what is real and if we do that we will be released from much of our doubt and trouble in this world what does Paul see that releases him from his perplexity from his persecution from being struck down from being pressed and hard pressed on every side as Paul describes himself as a man 
who's in a fight and he's been beaten down and he's down on the ground he says I'm struck down but not destroyed Paul's fighting a battle all around him and Christ allows the fact that these things will get the better of him sometimes and he feels like he's down on the canvas but he says I do not lose heart because I do not look at the things which are seen I stare and gaze and behold the things which are unseen what does he see? the answer is, is in verse 16 to 18 and then further on into chapter 5 where he begins to speak about the judgment of God and the reality of God and we might see some of these things next week if I'm with you but let me give you some of the things that he sees that changes things for him he sees God he sees God in Christ and we need to see that we don't just believe it because our parents told us about him we don't just believe it because the rest of Christianity believes in him we don't just believe it because atheism is a distasteful position for us Paul doesn't just believe that there is a God Paul doesn't just work out that there's probably a God he knows there is a God he has experienced God he has seen and scoped he's looked beyond this world and he knows without a doubt with 200% certainty he knows and you can argue with him you can try and trick him you can push him you can beat him and he won't question it not because he's stubborn but because when you know someone and you've seen someone you're not going to doubt whether they exist he sees God Paul tells us that everyone can see that there's a God in Romans that in the sky and in the moon and the stars and in the plants and in the animals Romans 1 his invisible attributes are clearly seen he says by every man no matter who they are the Hindu the Muslim the atheist whoever it might be they, they can clearly see that there's a God his eternal power and Godhead when you look up go out tonight and look up it releases you from yourself look up and stare at the vast expanse and the glory of those galaxies that look to you like a little white sparkle stare at them the vastness and Paul says we know that there is a God Psalm 19 says his handwriting is in the heavens in the stars it's his signature he's, he's left his thumbprint so we're, we have no excuse Paul says it's clear when we look in there or I look inside at my DNA I know there's a God but Paul goes further than that Paul isn't saying I believe there's a God because the stars prove it and because the design of my body proves it he's not just saying believe in our God what happens to us in Christ is that we actually come to know this God we really know him he's august, he's great Father, Son and Spirit he fills the entire universe but somehow me, small, clay, weak I can know him for myself in a father-child relationship I can know him and you tonight who are in Christ know that you just don't believe there's a God because of the design of the universe you must not just believe in a God but you know God because the word came to you your friend witnessed to you you came to hear the word preached you saw a strange 
series of circumstances or providences in your life that forced you to reconsider, your desires began to change. You don't want the things you used to want. You used to live for football and for drinking and for buying the latest dress and the latest shoes and all these things. And these things made you happy. And now, now they kind of fade and you find yourself longing for something greater. The God who is drawing you and he shows you Christ. He shows you that you need a saviour. That you need to have your sins lifted off you. And he shows you that Jesus is with outstretched arms, draws you to himself and will not cast you out. We see all this. We look and we can see it. That all this has happened in our life. So we don't just reason it out in our minds and come to a conclusion. Something happens in our life. We didn't have God, and some of you would say this if you gave your testimony, God came into my life. God came into my life. He confronted me. He drew me. He revealed himself to me. And he drew me in my heart to himself. Paul says later on in chapter 5, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. Faith believes everything that I just said to you. We are justified by faith. We are saved by placing our faith and our trust in Christ. When Paul says there, we don't walk by, we walk by faith, not by sight. He's not saying that we cast a blind hope in something because we can't see it. He's just saying it's a different kind of seeing. He could have said, we walk and see by faith, not by normal sight. I'm sure many of the Christians here know what I mean by that, that there are things you can see. We say it to each other all the time. You, you, I don't understand something and you explain it to me and I say, ah, now I see. And I mean I understand. That it's logical. It makes sense. That's what Paul means. We walk by faith. Not a blind faith. A very reasonable faith. A faith, a faith that's certain of what it's seen. And it doesn't matter what's all around it. That faith holds on to God because it has seen God. So that's one of the things that makes Paul say I can be torn to shreds I can be in despair, perplexed my body can be in pain I can be in anguish of soul and an emotional anguish but I do not lose heart why? because I know God and I know my master Jesus Christ who suffered before me and so now I will suffer so he sees God through his scope he sees God in Christ he also sees his bo the body of glory that's the second thing he sees the body of glory in verse 16 he says it's wasting away the body is wasting away and that is a terrible thing and a great trial for the Christian because it will happen to us all my version says the outward man is perishing the outward man is perishing we have this treasure chapter 4 verse 7 in earthen vessels the glory and the beauty of the glory is a paradox because it's put inside 
an earthen clay vessel. Not in a palace, not in a, a lovely jar or vase, just in a breakable earthen pot. We are saved, but we're saved inside this earthen vessel, this jar of clay. A weak vessel, a fallen vessel that we inherited from our parents, Adam and Eve, and every parent since, that they produce children, but the principle of decay is in them, that we age and we decay over time. We are weak clay pots. And that's a problem for, for Paul, as I won't go into it. I've explained it to you already, what happened to him. His body was a mess. And he, he wants rid of it, really. He's carrying it around. It's, it's fallen and it's dying. I carry about in my body the death of the Lord Jesus. It's hard. Is it hard for you? One day it will be hard for us all unless Christ returns and we're in the prime of our life. But for everyone else, this will happen. But for many of you, it may already be happening very severely or even just the beginning of it. Maybe this is something that is a trial for you, your husband and wife, or even your children. That weakness of the body Paul says in this we groan chapter 5 verse 2 in this we groan how terrible it is to be overtaken by weakness for your body to stop functioning for your mind to stop functioning for that outworking of the curse on this earth from the beginning that from dust we are and to dust we shall return maybe that makes you doubt maybe it makes every day a huge logistical problem maybe it's exhausting and maybe you ask why the reason why is that we're sinful that all of us have that weakness in us and God in his wisdom lets it manifest itself more severely in one person rather than another but the reason it's there is that this is temporary it's contaminated it's wasting away and though God saved the Christian he leaves that part of it there he doesn't save all of us at once and renew us on the spot and create heaven there for us he saves us in stages he saves our soul but he allows us to see in the process of sanctification day after day, week after week he allows us to see what sin does and the, the awful thing that we've actually been saved from. If he had just clicked his fingers and everyone had been saved, all of us would have forgotten how terrible sin was. But when you're living through it, 
and the weariness of it and the pain of it, you know exactly what a cursed world is. And it will make you praise your Saviour even more. Paul says that it's a tent. It's a tent. For we know that if this earthly house, verse 1, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands. It's just a tent. It's not meant to be permanent. It's not a house. It's just a tent. It's a temporary solution in our fallen state. Paul's body, he saw, is just a tent. And Peter says it too. I have to put to... Peter said he had to unpeg his tabernacle that, and pack up his tent. This body is like a tent that has you inside it. And in its current form, it's not permanent. But how hard it is when you're suffering, you're in pain, when your body doesn't work as it should. And all of the medication, all of the lack of sleep, all of these things... Now, awful it is. One thing the Word of God says to you if you're in that condition is that you are able to partake of the sufferings of Christ and have an intimate understanding of Christ if you're in that condition. You experience some of the pain He did. You know the weariness that He experienced. Another reason is to come for others. Paul opens this entire letter by saying that God comforts us in our tribulation so that we are able to comfort others. When you are going through something like that, it makes you more sympathetic to others. But why does Paul say, I do not lose heart even if I'm in this condition? Is it just because I know God? No. He says that I shall put off this tent I shall put off this tent and in these verses here in this we groan verse 2 earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven if indeed having been clothed we shall not be found naked Paul sees God and Christ with the eye of faith but he also sees that he will be given a renewed body. And just as the glory of the new covenant in Christ exceeded the glory of Moses, the glory of the new body exceeds the tent. We have this tent, but when it's destroyed, we will have a building from God a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens Paul wants to put off the tent and he says it's not because I want to be found naked but rather further clothed so that mortality can be swallowed up by life Why can you have faith as a Christian? Why can you see the glory of God and be comforted 
Why can you say, even in your current condition and all your pain, I do not lose heart? Because you have a building from God reserved for you in the heavens. And that building, that body, is in the likeness of Christ's body. It's exactly the same as his body. Your face will be different in these things, but the substance of it is the same. Your, the, the, your humanity as it is now, renewed and made sinless, but with all of these extra components in it. Christ was raised not just as a man who came back to life, like Lazarus or Jairus' daughter, but when Christ was raised, his body was transformed. Christ appeared in rooms. Christ moved between places. It's what Paul calls in another letter, not a natural body, but a spiritual body. It's physical. They, they touched Christ's body. He said, thrust your hand into my side. And he ate a honeycomb and a piece of fish in their presence. But it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same as what it was. It was his exalted, resurrected body of life. A, a, a body with no decay. A body full of resurrection power and strength and youth. And you have that body reserved in heaven for you. That body will have the glory of Christ. You will be in the image of Christ, the image of the heavenly man. So that soon, friend, when the Lord returns and you are raised in power with that body, it will not just be your soul that's in the image of Christ, but your entire being will be in the image of Christ. So he says, I, I do not lose heart. I serve Christ as much as I can in the years that he's given me. I can see God. I can see through to another world. I can see Christ. And I can see a new body. I will be raised from the dead. So do with me what you will. You can't take my faith. And I will not lose heart. For even though the outward man is perishing and wasting, the inward man has been renewed day by day, and this tent will be thrown away, and I will be given a house made by God. No wonder he didn't lose heart. If you can say that strongly, firmly, with assurance, what a powerful thing. So he saw God, the God of glory. He saw the body of glory. And he saw, lastly, the weight of glory. You see that in verse 16 and 17. I do not lose heart. The inward self is perishing, yet the outward self, the inward self is being renewed day by day for this light affliction. What verse is this? 17. This slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We do not look at the things which are seen, but unseen. So a slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. An eternal weight of glory. He sees in his scope the God and Christ of glory, the body of glory, and the weight of glory. And he encourages us all tonight to look at eternal matters and to fix and gaze and scrutinize eternity and I'll give you the reasons as we close 
he tells us to compare what we have now to what we have then. He says our afflictions are light. In the ESV it says slight. And the, more, the word just means light. There's two words used in the Greek. that are the light things and the heavy things. And he says our afflictions in this life are light. These afflictions are light. And that is not him diminishing our suffering. They don't feel light when you're depressed, when you have no hope, when you think nothing is going to work out for you again. When you're in pain, you're taking painkillers. When your thoughts are disordered, when because of your age, every step, every getting in and out of a car, every going up and down the stairs is exhausting and like a marathon. Paul isn't saying to you that's light. So, uh, to, make, to make light of your trouble and your pain. He knows the pain. He's felt the pain. He's cried the tears. He was cast into the sea and left for shipwreck. He was abandoned on islands. He was thrown. They threw stones at him. They beat him with rods. And many of the other so-called ministers that he ordained turned against him and called him false and thought they were better than him. Paul knows what it is to be traumatized. But he says, look at your scope. These are real. They're overwhelming. I can't get away from them. But look, look. Why can I call them light? Because I'm comparing them with something else. I'm comparing these with something else. One of these things is light. But the glory that God has promised us, he calls beyond comparison. He uses the word weight. Weight. The word baros. We still use that word for a barometer, which tells you how heavy the air is. Pressure. Heaviness. Weight. And he uses the word glory which is a biblical word which we saw this morning. In the Old Testament, the word glory for the Hebrews meant to be heavy. When, when Moses said, show me your glory, he said, show me your weightiness, your heaviness. The Old Testament word for God's glory means for an awe-inspiring weight and presence to be before you. It says God is to be taken seriously. God is weighty. He is heavy. Paul puts these all together. An exceeding beyond comparison heaviness of heaviness. So I compare these afflictions to a weight of glory that's coming and they seem light because of the wonder and the weightiness and the value and the reward of that golden weight of glory. That weight of glory contains many things. That it's the inheritance of heaven, eternal life, the new heavens and the new earth. There's lots of things that he packs into the fact that our inheritance, that this glory is weighty. In, in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth, I will know Christ. I will see the glory of the Father. I will see the glory of the Spirit burning before the throne of God. 
I will see the elders fall down and praise the Lamb of God on the throne. I will see all creation in beauty submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And purity and beauty and wonder and holiness and knowledge filling the entire creation when he remakes it. That's a weighty thing. I will know the love of Christ in a new way. I'll see his face. I'll speak to him. I'll, I'll speak to my father and see my, the glory of my father filling his house. My soul will be pure, sinless, instinctively righteous, untemptable, at peace. My body will be like Jesus' body in its beauty, in its strength, in its youth. We'll have a crown of honour that is weighty placed on our heads. And the kingdom itself the city of God the river of life which proceeds from the throne of God and the beauty of the world whatever size it will be and whatever it will contain that God makes whether it has things like we have now hills garden a palace a house land fruit trees beauty whatever it is he makes it will all be ours in Christ. That's weighty. You're in pain. But what is the pain compared to all of that in Christ when he gives it to you? When you inherit it as you pass from this world? Is it hard, friend, to pray is it hard to rejoice? Is it hard to stay upbeat? Is it hard to remain positive? Are you distressed? Are you troubled in your soul as to what Christ is doing and what he's doing to your body as you progress through this life? Look at what's promised to you in this weight of glory. Joy. Inexpressible and full of glory Peter says and I promise you tonight if you're a true Christian the best is yet to come and it's enough to get us through this to suffer bearing our cross for Christ what is coming to you the devil will tell you be depressed you have no hope it makes no sense it's going nowhere that is not the truth you're the greatest joy you will ever experience you haven't even felt it yet the greatest thing you've ever, that you will ever see, you haven't seen it yet. The greatest happiness that you will ever experience, you're nowhere near it in this life. The greatest praise and song that you will ever sing, you don't even know the words to it yet. The greatest day. Are you depressed? Do you look back and you say, I had some good days but now my life is empty, friend? The greatest day of your life is not in the past, it's in the future. The greatest knowledge you'll ever have, you don't have it yet. The greatest friendship you will ever enter into, 
you haven't really experienced it yet. The greatest love and relationship that you'll ever have. You haven't properly seen it yet. You are going to pass from this world. You are going to see the universe recreated. And you are going to enter the kingdom and family of God. And believe me, the love you will experience there makes anything in this world seem trivial, weak, necessary in this life. But it will all be swallowed up in the perfection of the love that we all have for each other there. As husbands and wives, because in the resurrection we are not given in marriage, we will see each other in light of Christ. We will all be brothers and sisters. And all th that perfected love will make anything we experienced in this life, it will show up for what it was. Fallen, weak and beautiful, yes. But nothing compared to what we will have in the fullness of joy in heaven. Do you think you've lost out on life because of your body? Because your body is holding you back. Do you feel that you're aging and now you've lost your youth and the best days are behind you and now you're withering away and you, you ache in nostalgia for the days of your youth because these were days of strength and clarity and all these things? Well, in the gospel, you will dwell in the kingdom of heaven in Christ, resurrected with the freshness of youth always upon you. You will always be strong. You will always be young. Christ is 33. Your mind will be sharp. You will be exercised. You will always feel refreshed. You will never be tired or weary or have a migraine ever again. You will never have a bad emotion or feel down. You will always be strong and have the life of Christ pulsating through your body. And all this is all packed into what Paul says here. This light, momentary affliction is not worthy to be compared with this weight of glory that awaits me. It's heavy and it's filled with the presence and the glory of God. And it all flows from our blessed and beautiful Saviour, Christ, the Lamb of God. Let me say one comment to close. He doesn't just compare one that's light to one that's heavy. He compares how long each one lasts for. He says this affliction is momentary. He says the weight of glory is eternal. He says the things which are seen are transient or temporary, but the things which are unseen are eternal. So there's not just a comparison of the weight of them, it's how long they are. One is just a temporary, momentary affliction. And you say, but this feels like it's gone on for years. It has gone on for years. But your life in Christ when you're raised from the dead, once you've lived out that for a while, you'll look back at your life here as an introductory class, a flash you'll see it as a flash our life in the new heavens and the new earth is unending, there is no night there is no end to it there is no change of seasons it's a beautiful, eternal ongoing day in the light of Christ and it will go on 
and on and on. Your happiness, your strength, your joy, your knowledge, your friendships, your love for Christ, your time with your Father, the Spirit filling you and flowing out of you like a fountain, that, will go, that, that wouldn't be a, a one weekend experience that you'll then fall down from afterwards. It will just go on and on and on and on. And the pain you will remember, like Christ remembers his pain, but you'll look back at this and you'll thank God that you have it, that it made you a deeper, more realistic person, that it made you less superficial in all these things, that you knew that you were in a fallen world and you know what pain is. And you will look back at it and it will just seem like, it will seem like a sting that you remember, but compared to what you're experiencing in this fullness of time, it will not, you wouldn't even compare the two. In light of that, my dear friends, I condemn myself for ever losing heart, which I do too frequently. I lose my heart. My heart faints, as the psalmist says. I lose my courage and my joy. In light of that, let's not lose heart. Let's compare them and let's look beyond this world at what's beyond this universe God Christ the body he will make for you and the weight of glory fix your eyes upon it and examine it properly put your telescope on it and have a good long hard look at it because that place is more substantial and more real than this place because it will last longer let us set our mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and let us run the race with endurance looking unto Joshua to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of God do you have this weight of glory do you look for the glory of Christ as we saw this morning has God come into your life believe on the Lord Jesus Christ my friend and you will be saved put your trust in him not in the false atheism and religions of this world put your trust in the son of God who reigns over this universe call upon him put your trust in him and you will join this large company you will receive that inheritance a great treasure trove a weight of gold a weight of glory may we all then praise Christ for this may we all rather than lose heart May we all take heart in these things. Amen. May the Lord